We are live from the Empire of Lies, an oasis of free speech and anti-censorship in the vast wasteland, but sinking wasteland, that is the Biden administration. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. So let me ask Rod, Rod from Philly, our producer, I don't, do we have a guest host today? Yeah, Carter Laren's on. What's that? Six. Carter on five to six. Okay, so second hour, Carter Laren. Sometimes we have him, sometimes we don't, but we love having him. So it'd be great to talk to Carter. There's a lot of news going on. In the first hour, Rod has booked a great show for us. The great Larry Johnson, former CIA man and an analyst of all things political, will be on talking about some of the mess that's going on in Ukraine and some of the mess that's going on in the Biden administration. You've heard Nina's gun, right, Red Rod? Yeah, I did hear that. Yeah, I did hear that. Are you sad? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sad about that at all. I have a feeling she's going to be around in one form or another, though. Do you think she's actually going to go away completely? No, she's too. She's too young, Lee. She's 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 in her prime. We're gonna we're gonna be hearing more of her her jingles. Uh, so we're gonna have to tolerate her for at least uh, I don't know. I'd say at least another ten years or so. She's too young and too desperate. She's too needy. You know what I'm saying? She wants fame too much, and she's got it. And I I credit Jason Goodman, our Tuesday co-host. I really think Jason Goodman is part of what made her resign yesterday. Do you do you give Jason credit for it, Rod? Yeah, one hundred percent. He gets so much credit that he got banned from Twitter with no explanation today. Oh, really? Now I I consider the reason I, I didn't hear that. Of course, he didn't message me to tell me he'd been banned. But uh, the reason I give him credit is I think what he did when he talked to her and when that was trending on Alex Jones' show on Infowars, it got in her head. Do you know what I'm saying? People saying stuff about her was was water off her duck's back. But that, I think, got in her head. Do you agree? And no, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I think so much so that, like I said, now that uh, Jason Goodman is a name, she knows, like even in that phone call, she's like, who is it again? And she, she's never gonna forget that name. And one of her, I'm not gonna say she's uh, a part of it, but I'm saying the, the fact that she, she's, uh, her background's been exposed by Jason and put on blast. Uh, the uh, trickle-down effect is that now that Jason's been banned from Twitter as of right now, um, and with no explanation, and he didn't attack anybody or any, put any, you know, any threats or anything or, on his Twitter. So, right, and, and and of course he never does anything like that. But they've got to be freaked out by it. Also freaked out. Did you see the Twitter executive running from James O'Keefe in the street? Yeah, I was. I meant to talk about that and uh, play a, a few clips of that. You know, uh, I saw that, and then uh, earlier, maybe a couple of days ago, the uh, Indian gentleman, I think he's Indian, talking about where you know we're all basically commies at Twitter. Yeah, babe. Right. They love their ideology. They're proud of their ideology until James O'Keefe catches them, and then they have to run down the street. We'll talk about that too. In the second hour, the great from fault lines, 
the great Jamal Thomas. I always feel I always feel like I'm saying poor Jamal's name wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? Rod. I guess you're saying it right, Jamal. It's not that hard. But you know what it is, obviously I wanna say Jamal, because that's the more common variant of that name. And Jamal is easy, but Jamal is the twisting that R around. But he'll be on talking about the UFO hearing today, which I'm seeing a lot of people freaking out about. They're like, well, if my voting rights are being denied or whatever, whatever their pet causes, why are they spending money in the UFO hearing? So we'll talk to Jamal about that and the other issues of the day. And we'll talk, take your calls, 202-521-1320. This is The Backstory. Now, I'll tell you what I just ordered before the show, Rod. I just ordered on Amazon a cough button. Do you know what I'm saying? It's one of those buttons where you press it intermediately, intermittently, and it, it, pause, it cuts the signal to the microphone so you can cough. And I... I and some people may have noticed a couple of days ago when Jason was on, my voice at the beginning, my articulation's okay, but my voice sounded scratchy at the beginning. And I've coughed a couple of times on the air. And don't worry, you won't get infected, but it's irritating. And so I've got a button coming, so I'll be able to cut that out. But the big news is I went to the doctor yesterday to find out why I was doing that. And I'd been throwing up a few times. Every couple of days, I would throw up. And Jason actually recommended, he said, you should go to the doctor. Because I didn't know this. When you had strokes, as I've had, did you know that vomiting is a sign of possible trouble for stroke victims? Yeah, I did, Lee. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Everyone knows more about having a stroke than me. I wish so many people who know so much would have a stroke, but I'm, I say that with love. But I knew nothing about that. So Jason pointed out to me, you should go to the doctor. So I listened to my co-host's advice. And my girlfriend and I, Danny, we went to the doctor as soon as the show was over yesterday because we got one of those urgent care clinics. You know, it's not an emergency room. But it's not the regular doctor, and they're open till nine. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of facility. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's, it's a step down from emergency. You know, um, uh, if emergency would be, uh, you know, you broke your leg, uh, you know, you're you're coughing up blood, you're urinating right. blood, you're urinating blood, or and you know what I mean. If it's and anything like, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And I wasn't having any of those symptoms. I was just having, I'd throw up every couple days and then uh, mild nausea and then my nose has been runny and it's just drippy. Does that make sense? So no major symptoms. And the problem I have with the emergency room and God bless the people there, but still I found when I go to the emergency room, they don't let me out. When I go to the emergency room, they tend to go, we're going to hospitalize you. And then I'm there a week. And I didn't want that. Because I didn't think there was anything major going on. 
I didn't think I had another stroke, for instance. Minor symptoms. Well, it turns out that I have COVID. So I'm now a COVID victim. And I was shocked in the sense that I had no idea that the symptoms I'd had were indicative of COVID. The doctor, the doctor was great, by the way. He explained everything real well. They took a white blood cell count and he said, well, just do a COVID test just to check. He didn't think I had it, but my COVID test came back within about 40 minutes positive. So I, I have COVID, it turns out. And uh, basically, I've talked about this before and I understood it abstractly. I understood it academically, but now I practically know COVID has become basically like a, a virus, like a bug. Does that make sense? I'm not yes. having to go to a respirator. I'm not having trouble breathing. Right. I've got minor aches and pains and a drippy nose. I didn't know that was COVID. Uncomfortable, that's all. Right. And I, you know, even, and I some people, Ted Rawl had COVID, our freaking guest Ted Rawl, and he said it was very painful and very tough. I don't want to sound brave, far be it from me, but I am not suffering greatly. In fact, I'm kind of glad to know that I have COVID because it explains it. If I got out there and said, said we, we, we don't know what it is, you know what I mean, then I wouldn't have felt happy. I would have felt like, well, when's it going to end? They don't know. But now it seems like I've had the symptoms about seven days. And so I'm almost out of the woods. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, no, I was going to say, I was going to say, no, at least you don't have monkey pox. You know, that's the, that's the new rage of the media. Right. And by the time I get monkey pox, hopefully it'll be like a bug. Hopefully it'll be more nose dripping. Because this seems the way these things go. Now, this monkeypox thing, what do you know about monkeypox? It was all over the news yesterday. Um, I mean, it's rare. Uh, but, um, I, don't, I don't know what to say, what to take from the media. You know, I, don't, I really don't trust the media. Uh, Gee, why? I, <laughs> so I don't know um, what to, you know, I guess I'm, I'm just waiting it out and kind of digesting this, you know what I mean? So I'm not, uh, you know, going to put a trash bag over my head and, you know what I mean? No, I don't want them, you know. So uh, and it also, if you see, uh, there's also health departments across the country are now, you know, COVID numbers are rising and they're, they're re-recommending masks. So, you know what I mean? So it's just like you see you see where these things are going. So Yeah, but, but like I say, if I'm one of the new breed of COVID patients, I'm lame. And I think I am. I think a lot of the COVID cases are things like I'm having, so minor that if they'd said, you don't have COVID, you have the crud, whatever, some bug that's going around that they don't even give a name to, I would have gone, okay. You see what I'm saying? I, I wouldn't have thought anything of it. I thought they were going to come back and, because the doctor said, he quite literally said, well, the crud's going around. And you know you're a lame virus when you don't even have a name. You're just a crud. Right? But that's something doctors say. 
And what they mean is you have a generic nameless virus. And that's what I thought I had. But no, I've got something now that everyone knows, COVID. But I'm feeling fine. I mean, I'm feeling fine relatively. And it's tough sometimes because I'll, I'll get up, you know, and I'll walk across the room and Daniel say, how are you feeling? And it's a great question. And she loves me. And she's just asking a normal question. But I don't know what to say. Like, if you ask me, how are you feeling? The answer is not dead. I don't feel like I'm going to throw up right away. But ask me if I'm going to go out and run. You see, you see what I mean? I'm feeling low-level bad. What I described it as is I have the blahs. Does that make sense, Rod? Have you ever had the blahs? Yeah, you just, just you know, like a shoulder shrug. Your shoulder, you know, everything that somebody asks you is just a shoulder shrug, you know what I mean? Right. I'm feeling not as well as I normally do, but not so horrible I need to be taken to the hospital immediately. Somewhere between normal and 911. So that's my COVID story. And it's lame. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be hooked up to an iron lung or a ventilator or anything like that. I haven't had any problems breathing whatsoever. And my brother asked me, well, did you lose a sense of smell or taste or anything? No, I didn't lose. I didn't have one single thing that I thought was a COVID symptom. See, what, what would you think COVID symptoms are, Rod? Um, if we're talking about an upper, uh, upper respiratory infection, specifically, uh, you know, you'd be sweating. You'd be having a lot of sweats. Nope, uh, none of that. Fever, um, a lot of congestion, coughing, uh, lack of appetite, you know, things like that. Um, weakness. You know, you know, um, like talking about like real weakness, like where you don't want to like even get up out of the bed. Um, so, right, yeah, I, I've had that real weakness, and even the coughing. You're hearing. I'm doing two hours of radio a day. I'm not constantly coughing. Just occasionally, a cough comes on, and because I have no cough button now, unfortunately, I get to hear it. But the good thing is, people are hearing the cough, so you're hearing how much I'm coughing. Do I sound like I'm at death's edge when I cough, Rod? No, nah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put you at that. So, no, nah, you know, I would just say you're just not feeling well. Uh, you know, a couple of days, uh, a lot of clear fluids. You know, some, some soup, light food. You'll be all right. With the doctor, someone asked me, "Well, what do they recommend?" And people are thinking like ivermectin or any of the other things that people talk about. Do you know what the doctor recommended actually? Canada Dry Ginger Ale, specifically that brand, Canada Dry. And the reason he said that is a lot of ginger ales have ginger flavor, ginger extract or something. But Canada Dry Ginger Ale has actual ginger in it. Have you heard that? Yeah, I did know that. I knew somebody in the restaurant business, so I did know, I did know that. Yeah. And Dr. Zolorkat, and so he recommended Canada Dry Ginger Ale when I get a little nauseous. And sure, okay. But uh, there's nothing, a lot of people then, well, they jumped to ivermectin. 
I'm not going to get an ivermectin only because the doctor didn't say to. And I don't think, I think ivermectin could be good for some stuff, like avoiding a hospital. But I'm on the downside of this already because it's been about a week. And I'm just dealing with these symptoms. So I feel like I'm an example of how lame COVID has become. You guys, you also, you also feel in weather changes too out there, right? It's going from cold to hot, or uh, or is it still cold yes. out there? Yes. No. No. About a week ago, we had some cold days, and now today, for instance, it's going to be in the high 80s. So we went through some of those changes in the past week, and the other thing, and I saw a video by Russell Brand on this. I'd been starting to eat fast food about a week ago, mainly because it's convenient, right? I can get a sandwich and just a sandwich, and then I'm done. But I, I think that me eating a lot of fast food, I wasn't overeating fast food. I wasn't eating like four Big Macs. I was eating like one sandwich. But I think that eating too much fast food didn't help me. And Russell Brandon's whole video about that. And doctors don't recommend you eat too much fast food, right? Because it, it's not good food. But part of what it is with fast food is the way it's prepared and certain chemicals done to preparation. But there's lots of reasons people eat fast food. And one of them is it's fast. It's convenient and predictable, and comparatively cheap. Do you know what I'm saying? So if, I, if I'd if gotten food from a local Indian restaurant or Mexican restaurant or something, I could probably pay 15 bucks, 20 bucks maybe per entree. If I have my girlfriend go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, it's about six bucks. And you can get two Big Macs for six bucks, but I haven't done that. If you notice that's a wacky thing that McDonald's does, is sometimes they'll say one Big Mac, $5.25, or two Big Macs for $6. Have you noticed that pricing trick rod that McDee's does? Hey, uh, to be honest, Lee, I haven't really, uh, I stopped eating Mickey D's probably like uh, eight, nine years ago. It just hasn't tasted the same to me from when I was a kid. So I haven't, I haven't really been eating McDonald's. Well, seeing you, you don't have COVID, so you're smart. But they do this thing where one Big Mac or whatever is is five dollars and a quarter, and two of them is six dollars. So if you're ordering one of them, you feel guilty. You feel like, why am I ordering one of these? It's such a bargain to get two. You almost want to order two, which means you have too much food. So I avoid that temptation. But it's a mind game they play with you. And you're smart. Again, you know, I don't eat much fast food. And I'd been, I just gotten, yeah, go ahead, Rod. Monopoly game too. So, you know, there's no incentive either anymore. So, yeah, they don't even put cool toys in the Happy Meals. Not that I order Happy Meals. I've been avoiding fries, for instance. I haven't ordered fries. In all the fast food I've been eating, like yesterday I had a filet of fish. Now, I'm not saying that's health food, but I'm saying 
I guess I feel like a fillet of fish shouldn't. Like you say, I would recommend people the video. He's talking about COVID and fast food. Look for the Russell Brand video. And that made me think, gee, because there are chemicals they're using that they found have something to do with COVID. And watch the video. I don't, don't want to give you medical advice. But watch the video and watch what Russell says. And I think there are things about fast food other than the food. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, no, no, I know exactly what you're saying. I think McDonald's started using the potatoes, these GMO potatoes, because they don't have the little, the little potato lines in them anymore. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. So uh, I think, uh, you know, not to sound conspiratorial, or nothing, but I think uh, Bill Gates owns this land. These get these potatoes from, so you know, so. So so anyway, I, I'm fine, but I want to point out that I'm fine with COVID. And there you go. So the other big news yesterday, there were three surrenders, three massive failures. One was Nina Jankowicz. They've paused, and they're calling it a pause. What's up with that? They're saying they paused the disinformation governance board. Is it shut down? They're saying, Miss St. Pierre said, it's pause. But I didn't know what it was doing anyway. Do you have any idea what they paused, Rod? No, I have no idea. But I think they're just going to publicly rebrand this and unpause it or whatever. I don't know. Because, I mean, she already said she's been working since March, so she's been doing something. Then the other one was a guy on Twitter, Project Veritas, my friend James O'Keefe, is doing killer work, amazing work. And he's gotten in the middle of this Elon Musk controversy. It's not controversy. Some people irrationally hate Elon Musk. And now on the left, have you noticed the left who should like him? Because he's done stuff that could contribute to ending global warming, right? There's no reason someone on the left, and he pointed out, he's voted Democrat. He says he's never voted for a Republican, but he says this election, he's not voting for a Democrat. And God bless him for that. Because as I say, the Democrat and Republican party are useless, but the Democrats are worse. I'd like to be clear about that. The Democrats are worse. There is no equivalent of the unhinged power grab that the Democrats do. And they act like there's an unhinged power grab on Republicans' parts. And you know what they call the power grab. They say Republicans are trying to end voting rights for minorities. No, they're not. What, what they're trying to do is bring some order to the voting process and not say, for instance, anyone can vote by mail anytime or people can use drop boxes in an unlimited way. Do you feel like your voting rights have been threatened, Rod? <laughs> no, no. But I do want to um, uh, piggyback on what you're saying about 
uh, Republicans and uh, voting rights, I have questions of how Dr. Oz is uh, tied in the Senate race. And uh, in Philadelphia, one of the Republican, I don't know his position. He's not, he's not city council or anything. I think he's like some type of secretary of whatever. But anyway, he's been charged with uh, having ballots sent to a P.O. box. So I think the Republicans have taken this mail-in mail in by vote thing and have been using it for their uh, advantage because I just, I just don't I have seen no general love or even like, you know, I'm curious about Dr. Oz. Like, I just, I didn't see it. No, I'm in, that's only Philadelphia. I don't know about the rest of the state, but I'm just, I just don't see it. Well, Dr. Oz is an example of a bad Trump pick. Donald Trump, he's picked some good people. I think it's random. But Dr. Oz is an example of someone who he should not have supported. And I think a lot of Republicans look at Trump's judgment on these endorsements and by Dr. Oz, and they're scratching their heads. Do you agree with that, Rod? No, 100%. Um, you know, a lot of people is like, why didn't he uh, support Kathy Barnett? She was a, a, a black woman, a conservative. She was also calling out, uh, you know, the war. And, well, she was she was questioning a little bit of the war in Ukraine and other things like that. So she she had some type of a backbone. And, you know, he went for the celebrity, Dr. Oz, who has no connection to Pennsylvania. Like, what the hell's Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania? You know what I mean? Like, he just like registered his uh, residence there like within a year or something like that. And what list would you put Dr. Oz on? You say he's a celebrity. I would put at most C-list celebrity, possibly D-list. Rod, what do you think? Yeah, no, I'd say, I'd say C-list, C-list, you know. Uh, I think a lot of people watched his show when he was on TV. So I'd say C-list. I think he's got about the same amount of celebrity as Amber Heard. Johnny Depp's ex. Johnny Depp is clearly an A-list celebrity, right? And my girlfriend pointed out to me, Johnny Depp, you know how old he is, right? He's like, I think 58. He's nearly 60. Did you remember that? Oh, yeah, he's a vampire. He's been around for a long time. And he's been in some of my favorite films. Ed Wood, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He's been in a lot of great films. But Amber Heard, I'd say, is about a Dr. Oz level celebrity. Would you agree? Um, yeah, I think I'm trying to think. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd have to agree with you on that. Yeah, because I didn't know who she was really. And I've seen movies where I didn't even know who she was. Right. She's one of those. She, and it's, then someone pokes you and goes, she's Johnny Depp sex. And you go, OK, I still don't know who she is. But. Uh, anyway, James O'Keefe did a sting of a Twitter executive, and one of his operatives did it. And they went on a date with this guy, and this guy was talking about Elon Musk and saying Elon Musk because he's Asperger's, and he, he admits he's Asperger's. He's not ashamed of it, and he shouldn't be. It's just a condition. You see what I'm saying? There's nothing to be ashamed about, about being Asperger's or having a kid at Asperger's or anything like that. But this guy from Twitter was Asperger's shaming Elon Musk. He's saying he's literally special needs. 
and was dissing being special needs. Like, why, why listen to this guy? He's special needs. That was weird, wasn't it, Rod? Yeah, that shows you how tolerant the left is, you know, because these are these are people who, again, who consider themselves commies. This is, they called themselves commies. Was in Twitter, and he's and he's going around making fun of uh, Elon Musk. Elon Musk was Aspergers. Like, you know, I know people Aspergers. He and obviously Elon's is very mild to to low. I know people with severe, and that's not something you make fun of because you know uh, it just doesn't. It's it's tough on parents who have. Uh, kids with severe Asperger's, but this is how tolerant they are. They, they make fun of people with special needs. So James O'Keefe did a follow-up video where he confronted the guy with himself on video. And the guy ran down the street from him. He ran like Bill Browder. You notice that, right? And the guy's a little bit of a trouble. I'm not knocking it because God knows I'm COVID-19. So, but that was funny, wasn't it? Yeah, Browder was faster. Browder was faster. Yes. And not a physical specimen. Let's go to a short break. And when we come back, we'll have more of the backstory. On the backstory, 105.5 FM, AM 1390, in the Washington, D.C. area. We're joined now by our friend and guest, Larry Johnson, ex-CIA guy who analyzes the news from his bold perspective. Hey, Larry, how you doing? Hey, how are you, man? I'm okay. I have the lamest case of COVID ever. But don't worry, I... You can't catch it through the microphone. You're safe. So, no, but it is really lame. I've talked about that. But, but anyway, you're well, Larry? I am. Fat and happy and healthy down in Florida. We live in at least a free country here. Yeah, although there are some questions about that. Because did you worry about the Ministry of Truth that they have put on pause and then Nia Jankowicz stepped down from? How worried were you? As an American, as a person who believes in the Constitution, how worried were you that the government seemed to be putting a disinformation governance board together to monitor content, especially given the fact that this administration are proven liars? That they they lie about everything, right? Right, Larry? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I took it as another sign, another piece of evidence that the the descent into madness that has just taken over uh, the the hard left in this country, and but I I, I do take some comfort in the fact I remember the fall of Ceausescu, uh, Ceausescu in Romania, a little bit crazy like these people, and uh, you know you can only live with a mile before so long before someone drags you out and shoots you. So you know the, I just I see what these people are doing is they keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And at some point, uh, the majority of the American people are going to push back. They're, they're not going to stand for it. That is, uh, we've already compromised uh, the Department of Justice. The FBI, completely compromised. The CIA, totally politicized. And the media, under, under the control of, uh, of uh, corporate, you know, the corporate media, 
uh, controls the narrative. You know, we've never, the, the last time I saw this kind of lockstep marching with a media message was when the Soviet Union existed and there was a little thing called Pravda. Uh, I never thought I would look long enough to see that the only place where opposition voices could be heard would be on places like uh, Russia Today and Sputnik Radio. And I mean, it's, it's, it's just, uh, talk about a topsy-turvy world. No, I know. It's amazing. And let's talk about how long were you in the service of the government? How long did you work for the government, Larry? It's a few decades, right? Well, I was with the CIA for four years. Um, I was last sought by the senior regional analyst for Central America during the uh, uh, Contra Wars. I then moved down to the State Department uh, and uh, was there for four years. Uh, working on a variety of uh, international terrorist issues is in the Bureau of Counterterrorism, what is now known as Bureau of Counterterrorism. And then I started consulting, and one of my consulting jobs was to script counterterrorism exercises for the U.S. military special operations community. I did that for 24 years. So I've had sort of a unique perspective of working with the intelligence side of the house, the law enforcement side of the House, the FBI, the policy-making side of the House, the State Department, all elements concerned with transportation security and with the U.S. military. Uh, I was involved with scripting and executing over 250 uh, exercises. So I know what, type, what our forces are capable of doing. One of, you know, one of the sort of oddly funny things with respect to military exercises is at the conclusion of each exercise, they're supposed to conduct a hot wash, it's called, or a review. It's, it's a look backwards at what, you know, what lessons did we learn from this exercise. Um, and after, after you know, doing this over 24 years, I came to the uh, realization that they don't learn a damn thing. There's no lessons learned. Uh, all of this is repeated mistakes over and over with no corrections, no adjustments. I, you know, I used to think that you know, the, we would work in the chronological ascending model in which the first generation would do something wrong and the second generation would learn from it and advance. And the third generation would take, you know, learn from those lessons and continue to advance and building up our knowledge. And instead, it's like uh, each generation gets wiped out and everybody comes back to rediscover the world. And so that's part of what you have going on with uh, a lot of our military analysis and military intelligence. Now, so with that perspective, I'm going to point out something else I haven't pointed out about the Nianjankowicz situation. Aside from ideology, which you correctly pointed out is unhinged ideology, Nianjankowicz appears to be a new breed. A lot of Biden's hires are simply, forget ideology, they're inept. They're bad at their jobs. And if you put someone like Nianjankowicz in, to have her resign so quickly, to have her get out of the position. Is this administration unique in that it seems to have a lot of people who have no uh, skills or abilities, Larry? Well, well, actually, I think what we're seeing, uh, we suggest that it's partly a biological So, uh, you know, I know you're, you're old enough that when you went to elementary school, you were taught to write in cursive. You were not, uh, t you know, taped or locked or expected to peck away like uh, some chicken at, a key at uh, some pellets. 
So in writing first, going through that very act of having to create figures and letters, that helps wire your brain in a particular way that actually wires together neurons and enhances intelligence. It's, it's no surprise that Chinese and Russians who have more difficult languages to deal with in terms of writing, that their children actually perform much better in areas like math and science. And so what we've created now in this society, uh, particularly over the last 25 years, is a generation who's going to have enormous thumbs as evolution pro pro uh, progresses, uh, and they, they punch away at, at, at a keyboard, but that, that, that punching away at the keyboard does not build those same kind of, uh, of robust neural pathways that existed, say, in the 18th and 17th century as people were scrolling on parchment. So that's why you see stupid people like this. That's why you see these ignoramuses who completely ignore biology. I mean, they, they ignore fundamental science. They deny that there's such a thing as XX chromosomes and XY chromosomes. They insist that everything's just a figment of the imagination. So when you're dealing with that kind of delusional generation, you know, the, the, the only thing that corrects them is when they walk in front of a car that runs them over and kills them. And unfortunately, I think what we're doing right now with Russia is we are doing the equivalent of walking in front of a car that is going to kill us. No, I think that's, that takes me to the next topic, because I want to talk about the narrative in this Ukraine-Russian war. For a while, a lot of people were saying America is running the information war, and I disagreed, because I don't think lying and getting the media to go along with your lying is winning the information war, because I, th I think we're starting to see it now with the collapse and surrender of people in Mariupol. They cannot, they came out and they lied about that. They said that people were evacuated in Mariupol. They weren't, they surrendered. And it didn't last long. And even the media is having to admit, I'm seeing headlines now, they're saying, Ukrainians will not admit they surrendered. I'm, I'm not seeing it universally, but enough of them. It was like the Hunter Biden laptop story. They lied successfully for a while about the Hunter Biden laptop story. But now everyone knows, everyone's acknowledged that it was a lie, that it was not the Russians, it was Hunter Biden's laptop. And when the Post and the Times and CNN admit that, and I think that's where we're headed, where do you think we're headed with the narrative on Russia and Ukraine, based on what we're seeing in Mariupol? Well, it's, it, it's, it's the Baghdad bomb routine. So you remember Baghdad bomb from the early days of our invasion, the illegal invasion of Iraq, I might add, uh, in, two, in March of 2003, that he kept insisting there were no American tanks in Baghdad and that the Iraqi army was prevailing. Well, there came that moment where you could actually see U.S. tanks rolling in, and he ultimately was taken captive. So that's going to happen to us. That's going to happen to the Ukrainians. They can, they can continue to deny that Russia's winning. They can continue to insist that they're winning, they're prevailing, that the Russians are suffering terrible casualties. But day after day, Russia is grinding away. 
the number, the, the latest number is just today, and looks like as many as 20,000 Ukrainian troops have surrendered in areas in the Donbass. Uh, so it is, uh, these numbers are starting to pile up quickly, because the, these troops that are out there in the field are not, on the Ukrainian side are not getting support. So this this effort to have you know, kept this narrative alive, I don't think, I think, you know, you correctly know that they weren't winning because, uh, but, but they were dominating the news headlines. And I have never seen a time in our history where there's such a one-sided presentation of information. Uh, you know, I started doing uh, the TV talking head thing in 1996 or 95 with the capture of Carlos de Jackson. And so I was on everybody. I did on uh, all the cable channels, Fox, MSNBC. I did all the majors. I was on ABC News Nightline. I was on uh, 60 Minutes. I was on the Jim Lehrer News Hour. Good God, I did, did the Jim Lehrer uh, News Hour probably 14, 15 different times over the years. And there was a time in the media coverage where there would be at least two points of view, legitimate points of view, or you know, later on it became sort of a contrivance. They just put people on so they could have a fight. But what you're seeing right now with respect to Ukraine is none of the voices in America that could speak out and talk intelligence about, intelligently about this are being allowed anywhere on any of the news stations, with the exception that Tucker Carlson has had uh, Colonel Doug McGregor on his show a couple of times, and Doug... Doug doesn't pull any punches, and Doug is, uh, gets it right. But others who have, uh, you know, spoken out, or is, you know, like myself and Scott Ritter, and, and mind you, I'm not, I'm not begging to go back on U.S. television. I think it's a hopeless cause. This is, this is a, a propaganda extravaganza that we've never really, we've never seen. Um, and so, um, it, it is just, it's frightening that this amount of lies are being fed to the American public, and perhaps the only saving grace is most Americans are ignorant and oblivious to what's going on anyway. The, if you had, took them to a map, they couldn't find Ukraine on the map if you had a gun pointed to the map. And this is also happening with these sanctions, with the economic war against Russia. We're seeing that the EU, who's been doing the same lame propaganda game as the United States, they're still getting oil from Russia. But they're bringing it through third-party countries. They're bringing it on trucks to other places, maybe Netherlands, uh, a number of other places. And they're making themselves out like – and the guy who's been honest about this, not surprisingly, is Hungary's Viktor Orban. Orban has said, why should we lie about the sanctions? Why should we lie about – and say – Germany's saying – we're not using Russian oil. And Orban's saying, why would I lie? And I think that's smart and why he's one of the only popular leaders in Europe. Larry, have you noticed that with the sanctions? They're also lying about them and hoping no one calls them out? Well, not only are they lying about it, they're failing to grasp that we have essentially committed suicide, economic suicide in the West with this action. For starters, you go back and look and say, okay, let's compile the list of every time in history that we've used economic sanctions and they've proved effective 
in weakening or overthrowing a particular government. Let's see, the sanctions worked in Iran. No, no, they didn't. Well, the sanctions worked in North Korea. No, they didn't. How about Libya? No, they didn't. Venezuela? No. Cuba? No. Okay, I've got a good idea. Let's apply sanctions to Russia. Only with this, with this added caveat. Russia is the major producer of oil to the Europe and gas to the European Union. They are uh, the top producer for grain that's exported to feed the world. They have some of the most critical minerals and metals that are essential for the Western production of goods, consumer goods, electronics, vehicles, scientific equipment. Yes, let's cut them off completely so we don't get any more of that. Well, that's going to hurt them. I mean, this level of incompetence, uh, you know, if it was shown in a movie that was uh, uh, with a comedian in the lead, yeah, it would be funny. But it, but it is tragic what is going to unfold, uh, because this is, uh, it's already devastating Europe's economy, and it's going to devastate America's economy, and unfortunately, there are a lot of people at the lower end of the economic uh, spectrum around the world that are going to die of starvation because of this. And you've already seen the European Union try to blame it on the United, uh, on Russia. But, oh, this is Russia's fault. Russia didn't impose the sanctions. Russia did Russia was attacked, essentially. That this is, this was nothing but an act of war by NATO, Europe, and the United States. It's sickening and disgusting. Um, you know, I personally am fed up with it. I've seen enough of these damn wars over the last 40 years that I've been involved with government in one form or fashion. And it's not, it's not Russia that's out starting these police actions. And on top of it, America walks around, just puffed out like we're the, the biggest, baddest fighter on the block. And that's because we've only been beating up kids in wheelchairs. Okay? Because we have not actually, our generals, our military, has not actually won a war against the first world power since World War II. Everything since then has been a draw or a defeat. And I think you have the same attitude that a lot of liberty-loving patriots have about that. Of people I know who are liberty-loving, shall I say, people who are conservative libertarian, they're not in favor of the military industrial complex. And I've said before that the Democrats and Republicans are both useless political parties, but the Democrats are far worse. I don't see anybody on the Democrat side, at least on the Republican side, you have people who are sort of good, like Rand Paul or Paul Gozar or Thomas Massey or Marjorie Taylor Greene, who at least say some good stuff, right? and don't get swatted down. They don't get censored by their own party. They literally don't allow any divergence from their suicidal policies in Democrats. What do you say about that? Are the parties equal here? Well, no, I, I agree with you that uh, the, the Democrats are just particularly uh, sickening and, and crazy and dangerous. Uh, you know, recall a time, go back 25 years ago, and on the Senate, you would have a Bob Dole and a Daniel Inouye. Dan Inouye, a 
senator from Hawaii who was a Democrat. Bob Dole, senator from Kansas, a Republican. They have something they shared in common. Each of the men only had one arm, and they only had one arm because each of them lost that arm in combat in Italy during World War II. So they shared a common experience, and they both had a love for America that transcended their own particular partisan differences. But now we've evolved to a stage where the, the, the politics that drives Washington is money. And the, the money entices and ensnares people on both sides. Uh, when I first arrived in Washington, D.C. in 1979, going to graduate school, um, there was not a single Ferrari, Lamborghini, uh, uh, I guess Bentley dealership in the entire metropolitan area. Lux, those kinds a luxury automobile that was considered really high end was just a Mercedes. Uh, and BMW was just barely starting to break the surface. My point is, you didn't have that kind of money. Now, those things are all over, particularly northern Virginia, particularly along the corridor, the Dulles High, the Dulles Tollway that goes from Washington, D.C., out to the Dulles Airport. A lot, and it's lined by these towers filled with consulting firms that get money from the defense giants, and the money for, for those defense giants is being pumped out by Congress. And so they turn around and they fund political campaigns. So it, it really is, it's, it's, it's a self-licking ice cream cone of corruption. And that is what has really brought us to the state where we are, that it, it's no longer about significant political difference. It is about, are you going to endanger my paycheck? When you look at the number of members of Congress and people that have gone into the presidency that have gotten wealthy by going to Washington, it's not like they've invented anything. Uh, unlike unlike uh, Elon Musk, he's at least invented a Tesla car. He's invented uh, a rocket ship. He's used rocket money. You know, he go down the list. He's actually made things that work and do something for people. In Washington, D.C., the, the currency there is who you know and what access do you have to people that can uh, sign a check over to you. Now, Larry, you brought up Elon Musk. The person who invite, invited himself to the Elon Musk controversy last night on Twitter and became trending was one of the Rothschild heirs. And David Rothschild spoke out against Elon Musk and called him a privileged white guy, which is a joke for anyone who's with the Rothschild family, the Rothschild banking dynasty, to talk about someone being privileged. No, no, these, these clowns have no, they have no sense of irony. They're, they're, they've been... They've been so entitled to controlling the narrative and controlling the flow. I mean, this is why they hated Donald Trump. Trump, you know, had his problems, but Trump was not part of the club. Trump was not coming in to say, okay, whose palms do I need to grease so I can both make a little extra uh, cash on the side and keep them happy? Who do I need to bring in and feed at the trough? He, he recognized this for what it was. And was going to try to and, and try to halt it. His problem was he grossly underestimated how damn corrupt uh, this place is, and uh, you know that's why they that's what they had to destroy him because he was destroying uh, the piggy bank 
that they were all hoping to cash in on. No, exactly. And uh, now, do you think he should run 2024 or would you like to see somebody else in the position, say Ron DeSantis? Yeah, I, I can't. For example. I, I would prefer to see uh, DeSantis, although I'd hate to lose him as a governor uh, here in Florida. Uh, Trump's, uh, my biggest complaint with uh, Donald Trump was on television, he played a guy that knew how to hire the best and fire the clowns. But when he got the actual job of president, all he showed was a knack for hiring clowns and traitors, people who betrayed him right and left. Now, part of what I heard was that Trump really is actually a very nice, very decent man, and sometimes doesn't, you know, while he plays this tough guy on television that will drop the hammer on people, uh, in, in reality, he goes gentle. And we saw that a little bit with that... Uh, uh, one black female, Amorosa, who was uh, still obnoxious, and he brought her into the administration, and then she started trashing him and recording him and ultimately betrayed him. And yet, when you hear his phone calls to her, he's not, not attacking her at all. So uh, for, for that reason alone, unless, uh, unless Trump could prove to me that he's learned his lesson and is going to be much, you know, you know, uh, I guess harbor no qualms whatsoever about putting the knife out there and cutting, getting rid of people, uh, firing the entire civil servant level of Department of Justice. That's firing. Get them all out. Do the same with the uh, I think he, your management. Well, I clean out. Well, Larry, I think he's having trouble doing that because I think the worst hire from Donald Trump was Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner had no business being in that White House. His father, Charles Kushner, was a major Democrat donor. He's a lifelong Democrat, and he was clearly not on the MAGA train. What do you think of Jared Kushner as an example of bad hiring by Donald Trump? I, I, know, I know his background as you describe it. Um, I, I did not see him being outwardly disloyal to Trump. I don't know what, if anything, he did behind the scenes. Uh, the fact that he was involved with helping move the, the Middle East peace deals forward, I think, was beneficial both to Trump and his legacy. But, hey, I learned a lot. I got in trouble, well, my God, 40 years ago when uh, a couple came to me. I was in Argentina. They announced they were getting a divorce, and I, I opened my mouth and offered my opinion about why I thought it was happening and how I thought the woman was the cause. They both got mad at me and, you know, stayed married for a couple more years just to spite me. So on these kind of family matters, I usually steer, unless there's some obvious corruption and, uh, uh, or, you know, if it's just corruption or, or blatant confidence, I usually steer clear of it. Well, Larry, we're out of time. Tell people they can find your stuff and read your stuff. My, my blog at Sonar, S-O-N-A-R, 21.com, and uh, also post uh, at uh, uh, the Gateway Pundit. So, uh, Larry Johnson. Thank you today, Lee. Yes, and we love Jim Hoff, and we have Jim Hoff on the show just last week. Larry Johnson, great appearance, great conversation, a liberty-loving American. Larry Johnson, great analysis. Coming up next hour. We have Jamal Thomas talking about the UFOs and other issues of the day. And we'll talk more about Nina Jankowicz and guest host, co-host Carter Laren 
with us. It's a Thursday here on The Backstory. from the Empire of Lies on wastes of truth and free speech in the vast barren wasteland that is the Biden administration. I'm Lee Stranahan. We have guest host, co-host Carl Lahren with us this hour on The Backstory. So thanks to Larry Johnson for a great appearance on The Backstory. And let's say hello to Carl Lahren. Carl, how you doing? Hey, Lee, I'm well. How are you doing? Doing okay. So... So I want to talk to you about subjectivism versus objectivity because objectivity is winning out this week. You can only get away with subjectivism for so long. That's the point I want to make. But coming up this hour, we got Jamal Thomas on the show. Carter, what's the name of the show? You're listening to The Backstory. Sorry, I needed more well gravitas. Done. I keep forgetting to do the, the more gravitas, Lee. Next time, next time. No, it's pretty, you have a certain natural gravitas, so it's not okay. But Carter, with Nia Jankowicz quitting and the situation in Mariupol, I'd say we have situations where, where we have reality beating out over subjectivity. People are trying to fool people with fake narratives, but they're falling apart quicker than ever. I've seen seen that all over the news cycle this week. What do you see, Carter? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I, after the past couple of years, I think I think the left has overplayed their hands. Well, I won't even say the left. I'll say the the mainstream, the cathedral, as Michael Malice would call it. They've overplayed their hands in terms of how much they can get away with and not lose credibility. And I haven't seen the latest numbers from the media, but I know they've been falling and falling in credibility uh, precipitously. And uh, I think they just don't realize how untrusted they are at this point. And when it starts hitting people in the wallet and the gas sink and the refrigerator, because it's clear that we're going to come on the UN has talked about the dangers to our food supply worldwide due to the tensions with Russia, which, by the way, yep. have been pushed by the West. America has been pushing these tensions with Russia. For a long time. And at a certain well, and point. Well, and a lot recently, by the way, now there's this like push to expand NATO beyond, you know, now you're talking about other countries, Turkey, like all these people wanting to get into NATO. It's like we don't learn our lesson. We're just intentionally, we poked the bear and now we're just poking the bear some more. I'm worried about the long term effects of this. Right, because Russia has clearly made a choice that they are willing to forgo they realize they're never going to get a decent relationship. They're never going to get a relationship where the West is not trying to steal from them, for instance. Yep. Massive energy assets. And Russia has made it. They're putting their currency independent. They're putting the ruble possibly at a gold standard. And they're saying, we, we don't want to deal with you. And... While we look at that, 
America has just BS and rhetoric. America has rhetoric where they talk tough, but ultimately when they try to put sanctions on Russia, they're not working and they haven't admitted that. And I think the example of Mariupol where they clearly surrendered in Mariupol and they tried to call it, they were evacuated. They tried to say that their troops were evacuated, like they're going on a nice R&R vacation. Did you see that narrative fall apart immediately? Immediately. I didn't see anyone yep. who was fooled by it. No. I mean, maybe a day of that kind of discussion on NPR or something, but then it, it evaporated completely. Yeah. And did you see the woman who testified? I don't know what she was there for in front of Congress. And we'll get to you in one second, Tariq, by the way. Did you see the woman who was asked whether she thinks men can become pregnant? No, and I no, I missed this. <laughs> well, go ahead. Guess what this woman said. Uh, I, geez, I would guess that she would have to say something like either she doesn't know how to define men <laughs> or she would say uh, gender is a social construct. I'm not sure. What did she say? She just she said yes. She hesitated oh. for half a second. Then just said yes. Oh, so men she just said yes, pregnant. men can become pregnant. Oh, I see. Wow. Yes. Wow. Is, well, is that news to you? Um, yeah, and my wife's going to be pissed off because if I could have been the one to go through this whole thing, um, you know, she's going she's gonna to be mad that I made her do it. Right. If you could at least carry the baby for eight months and then at the last second transfer it over to her so she can have the baby. Well, I assume if men can be pregnant, I mean, I assume that men could give birth if they could be pregnant, right? Is that? Yes. I mean, but, you know, we all know this is just an an attempt to to completely uh, obfuscate the very biological fact, the objective fact, speaking of objectivity, (laughs) that there are actual biological differences between males and females. And, uh, you know, not everything is a social construct. Now, the guy should have followed up. The congressman who asked her should have followed up. Thank you for admitting men can do anything if they put their mind to it. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> or, or thank you for admitting that men ought to have a say in abortion. Right. Right. Good. Right. If, good point. If men can get pregnant— then the argument that men should just stay out of the abortion issue, which pro-choice people use. Pro-choice people never say, if you're pro-choice and a man, you shouldn't be involved, right? Yeah, no, it's only if you're, you're pro-life and you're a man, you're not allowed to say anything because you don't understand. But good point. If men can get pregnant, then they should engage in the abortion debate because I would say since it's relatively rare – they should care more about the issue. Plus they're men. True. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess we could start complaining. I mean, it, it, the whole thing just falls apart. It's so stupid because they simultaneously say there's basically no difference between men and women. It's just what you identify as. And at the other side of their mouth, they complain about 
gender wage gaps and oppression against women and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, look, I mean, if those things are, if you could just define whatever you are by whatever you want to be and just say, if words have no meaning, then, then all of these other grievances melt away. They just can't exist. Yes. And this is why the issue of subjectivity versus objectivity comes up even in the news cycle. And we're increasingly seeing the gap between reality and Democrats. 202 521 1320. Tarif, you're on the air. Go ahead. Thank y'all, gentlemen, for taking my call. Thank you, Lee, for taking my call. I have um, five quick comments. They're going to be quick. First, I'd like to say free Julian Assange. China wants to expand BRICS to create a larger multipolar world, BRICS Plus. You know, they've been inviting like Argentina and other, na- other nations. China officials launch wealth. Managers will start being given an order to start putting out their money from um, U.S. markets. Once that happened, that could have a change in effect, but you might have another repeat of a 2008 crisis because you have less money in the markets. Um, I think they call it liquidity or something like that. Um, my third comment, we got two after this. Fuel shortages is coming this summer because of the um, bite, because of the um, we low our strategic oil reserve is low, so they're gonna start having a few shortages on diesel and then gas. So they're gonna start rationing diesel. Ukraine will be bankrupt in the next month without the help of the EU. So Ursula von der Leyen promised them like nine billion to fifteen billion dollars later for the next three months. That's gonna help them keep them afloat because remember they gotta pay this. Their service people and the military and the, the other employees, such as that. So, yeah, the the tax the tax bracket sucks right now in Ukraine. They about to collapse without the help of the EU. And last but not least, the U.S. is doing something stupid again. The U.S. will send long range anti ship missiles to Ukraine, which will maybe in the future Russia can start selling made anti ship missiles to other countries that's don't like the U.S. putting Navy, putting our Navy in, in danger. So, yeah, that's all I want to say today. Thank you for taking my call. Great call, Sharif, as usual, bringing a lot of important points there. 202-521-1320. We have Brave in Atlanta. Brave, what's on your mind? How's it going, guys? I um just listening to your conversation. I I don't have anything as uh, insightful as Tarif's um, spot. My mind is a little more belligerent, I think. But I, I guess I want to um, ask you guys: what is it? What do you think, in your opinion, is the end goal of um, this whole "I identify this, I identify as that"? And, and I, I want to um, I want to kind of disagree with um, with Mr. Laren right quick because so. You can be anything as long as you identify with it, but if you are, say, a white person who um, identifies as black, and I'm not talking about, I'm not even talking about, I'm not being facetious and talking about, like, say, uh, blackface, which is obviously offensive, but I've got a lot of friends who grew up in the same neighborhood I grew up with and, say, say who were white, but... We didn't re- we didn't we didn't relate to them as white. We didn't consider them white. Like it's it's a joke, but we, I mean, but to be serious, we considered them as black. As a matter of fact, um, there is a um, 
There is a, ju- a, a journalist and a professor who calls in regularly, who, I'm sorry, who's a guest regularly on, um, on By Any Means Necessary, and he, he's typically reporting on or speaking on Haiti. And the first time I heard him, I thought he was black. And I went and looked him up because I wanted to um, read up on his stuff and was surprised that he was actually white. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this up only because uh, I, have a, I have a very good friend who also listens to the, to the, net, to the network who, who made the point that um, why is it that you can why is it that you can identify as you can be a man and identify as a woman, not even have the surgery and be respected as that. But if you are, let's say, one race and identify as another race, you are suddenly a culture vulture. And I, and I underline that with even the jokes that um, that uh, that Chappelle made on on his last stand-up because it's it's a valid point, I think. If that makes sense to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does. Yeah. What do you think about the concept of not blackface but black mouth? Some people talking black. Lou Reed, the great musician Lou Reed, has a song called "I Want to Be a Black," and that's and I, I can't say the full joke, but uh, a stand-up comedian once said, "Everyone wants to be black, but he used the N-word." But everyone wants to be black, but no one really wants to be black. In other words, someone like you know what I'm saying. So so brave. Someone like Eminem or Iggy Azalea can rap black, right, and be whiter than me because they're both pale people. But if you – yeah, go ahead, Brave. I I disagree with you because, I I mean – it, it, it might sound. I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah, but I'm I'm actually being serious. Like I'm talking about um, people who've grown up in other communities because it happens, right? Because people because they, when people say the black community, everybody in the black community isn't black. I'm not speaking specifically to, to, to just that. I'm using that as an example. But when you grow up in a community and 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 you experience those things. Yeah, your skin might not be that, and this is, this may be controversial, right? Your skin might not be that, but you grow up in that community. Like, like take like say an MC Search or somebody like that, just to use somebody that that you, you guys might identify with, right? And I, I'll even say a, a Eminem, right? But that's fine. But I'm I'm talking specifically of people that I know of who are culturally who who grown and 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 became um, an adult. You know, gone through in the, in the culture and, and, and experienced that, right? They may not have been able to experience the full, the fullness of having seen whatever pigmentation or whatever, but they fully they fully experienced that. I'm not talking about somebody who just thinks it's cool to say hip words. I'm talking about somebody who literally grew up with the black experience, or who literally grew up with, say, the, uh, uh, an Asian the Asian experience or whatever, right? They would be considered. They're, they're considered. I mean, not to us, because uh, those people are dear to us, right? And they're, they're family, so we we consider them that, right? But those people would be considered in the mainstream as culture vultures. How is that? How how are they culture vultures, right? But this a man who is pretending. Because let's be real. I, I mean, anyone can do what they want to do and be whatever they want to be, and I'm fine. I don't I don't have any uh, any um, animosity towards that, right? But let's let's be honest. You are a man. You did not grow up as a woman. Let, let, let's take the, the Leah Thompson person, right? She, he, he, that person did not grow up as a woman. So that person is now living as what they perceive to a woman's um, a, a woman to be, right? 
And that, to me, is the ultimate culture vulture. If you, it goes further than that. And I'm hearing a lot of women make that point now. And even I'm, I'm seeing some dissent uh, amongst the gay, gay friends that I have and, and people that I know who are gay who are making these same points. So I don't know. I, I don't want to be rude or, um, or insult anyone. Cause I'm not saying that you can't be what you want to be. I'm just saying, what is the difference and what is the liberals' end goal? And, and I said it as an independent. What is the liberals' end goal with this whole thing of canceling, basically, the experience of women who were born women and uh, seemingly um, gay women? I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I, I'm sorry. Enough going on. So I'll leave it there. No, hey, Brave. By the way, who did you entry for? Was it MC Search from? Uh, third base, is that you mentioned? Sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I knew you would get that one. Yes, sir. Right, right. I, I, I'd say, actually, I'm not, I wasn't putting down uh, Marshall. Eminem, I think, did grow up in the black community, right? And I think he is general respect. There's a reason he's Dre's protege. Do you think it's true about Eminem? Oh, yeah, he de- he definitely came up with with a certain experience around certain people. Obviously, cause you, obviously you, you can tell who did it and, and, who, and who has it, who has right. And then of course you can look at the. Um, I guess we'll get into a little bit of hip hop talk, right? When you look at like um, the, the rest of his um, the, re- the rest of his outsiders crew from way back in the day, and like Proof and all of those people. Those people val- those people constantly um, validated Eminem. Not that he needs it. You know, certain MCs, when it comes to that, whether white or black or whatever, you know, their their, their style and their ability speaks for itself. I think it does uh, for him as well. So, yeah, to answer your question, I would say yeah. Yeah, okay, thanks for that, Brave. So let me, let me riff off that and ask you a question, Carter. Do you think, let me, we talk about the LGBTQI plus question mark, whatever, asterisk, asterisk, community. What the hell? I'd say the name, the one in there that really completely confuses things is the Q. The Q for queer. What is a queer? Uh, You know, does that mean anybody? What, What does that have to do with the others? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here, and I just, I just first want to acknowledge what the caller is saying, and we can talk about that um, later if you want, with respect to what the end yeah, goal go of the left is, because I think I know. But for LGBTQ, I would disagree a little bit with you, Lee. I would say, um, well, first of all, uh, LG and B, those are all clear sexual orientations, uh, just by definition. They're very simple. T is not a sexual orientation whatsoever. It has nothing to do with your sexual orientation. Uh, it's a gender identity, which is actually, as the caller alluded to, is actually being used uh, against uh, mostly, I would say, young teenage girls who don't fit in and are told and maybe in the 80s they might have been – people might have assumed, well, maybe you'll grow up to be lesbian – But now they're saying, well, if you don't fit in, if you're a little bit of a tomboy, if you're a little bit out of the gender norm, you're not an L, you're a T. You must be actually a man. Um, And so it's a usurpation of sexual orientation and a replacement of that with uh, gender. And I actually don't think T fits in that list at all. Uh, And I think in many ways the T is adversarial to the healthy development of young 
uh, lesbian, gay, and bisexual individuals. The Q, um, the Q is weird because this is a this is a leftist. It's really a postmodern idea where they they talk about queering things, and basically what they mean by queering things is destroying. Uh, it, it's his form of deconstructionism. So you can queer gender by obliterating the lines and saying there's an infinite number of genders. You can queer sexuality by saying, well, there's not gay, bisexual, or lesbian, but a cornucopia of random and uh, ill-defined and maybe not even definable sexuality. So queer is uh, – the, the Q is just a kind of a nuclear bomb against concepts that's that's dropped into that – alphabet now you know also because they add s for just slutty you know <laughs> i guess some i mean people, <laughs> and I'm, I'm talking ultra slutty people sleep with anything that moves right that's what i mean like if, yeah if you're gonna get me off i'm i'm in favor of you and yeah but but and i is for intersex right uh, no. How much of an issue uh, is it? Wait, is I for intersex? I'm not sure. I think it's if it, it goes two, two, which is two spirit. Um, I a maybe I is intersex. Uh, it, I'm not honestly. I for, I don't know after <laughs> after the first few letters. And frankly, after the Q, it doesn't matter. It's anything. So right. That that's that's sort of my point. Now, what were you say about the point Bray was making about? Racial identification and the way people treat that. Well, I think he he has a valid point, and um, and I think you know, he's different. Yeah, he's differentiating between uh, cultural definitions and genetic definitions. So you would say, obviously, Marshall is not genetically black, but he might have a black culture because he grew up in a black culture. And so, uh, and, and you know, you're acculturated to whatever you're acculturated to. If I had grown up in Japan, I would be culturally Japanese, but I would still look as white as the snow. So, um, you know, that, that's a distinction that's, that's worth making. But I think in terms of the ultimate goal of the left, I think people, it took me a while to try and figure this out. And as you know, I mean, I looked at, uh, I looked at the philosophical roots of some of this stuff, uh, you know, not just postmodernism, but the critical theories and all the way back to Hegel and, and other people. And I'm, I'm not an expert, but, you know, I spent some time thinking and looking at this and trying to figure out what is their end goal? What the heck unifies them? How do you describe what they're trying to do? And it really didn't make sense until I flipped it on its head. And the question you need to ask is not what they're trying to build. The thing that unifies all of this on the left, the radical left, is not what they're trying to achieve, but what they're trying to destroy. Um, because they're not actually unified in what their vision of utopia would be, but they are unified by one particular goal. And that goal is we hate the the system of individualism and capitalism and merit and achievement. We hate what we're in now. We need to destroy the West. We need to destroy what makes the West unique. They absolutely hate the values of the West. And so what what how that manifests is they don't always need to use postmodernism. They might use postmodern ideas in order to blur the boundaries between uh, genders or make stuff up with respect to sexuality. But they 
they would reject postmodernism when it comes to race precisely because it doesn't help destroy the West. Um, it would undermine their efforts uh, because what they're trying to do on – uh, with race is to gin up a race war. They're trying to divide people. They're trying to, uh, you know, all of the the entire critical theory, the critical race theory, which is obviously part of the critical theories. Critical race theory is a, is a divisive collectivist um, ideology. And if, if you if you were allowed to use postmodern tools to combat that, it would it would destruct. It would be self-destructive. Um. So if you look at like Kimberly Crenshaw, who who was the you know, one of the inventors of intersectionality and and a key p- player in critical race theory. Um, she is uh, not really happy about some of the postmodernist um, ideas that could be could be used here, and she fights against uh, postmodernist interpretations of uh, race and actually even in her early stuff, gender, because uh, you know she was concerned primarily with the intersection of women and and black. And you didn't want she didn't want those categories to be reduced. But ultimately, they what they all have is a political goal. And they are not you know, if you look back to like Saul Alinsky, they are not trying to present a coherent theory. They're not trying to be uh, non-contradictory. They are merely choosing ad hoc from a grab bag of tools, whatever tool is necessary in order to achieve the short term political goal they're trying to achieve. So trying to look for consistency here will drive you nuts. There is none except in their political goal. Does that make sense? It, it does. And it's a great analysis. Carter Laren, our guest host today on Thursday to occur on the when we come back, Jamal Thomas is with us on the backstory. back and live from the Empire of Lies and in the capital of the Empire of Lies, Washington, D.C. You can hear us on the radio on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joining us now, Jamal Thomas from the show Fault Lines, heard every morning on Radio Sputnik. You can step into the AM with Jamal and Manila on Fault Lines. A little third base reference there for you, Jamal. How you doing? <laughs> doing good, man. How is it going? You doing okay? I'm I'm okay. Thanks for asking. So we got a lot of stuff to talk to you about. Uh, we were just talking about a question Brave called in about, talking about the situation, the broad topic. We did you see the woman who was asked about whether men can get pregnant on Capitol Hill and just said yes? No. I didn't see that. <laughs> I didn't see that. No, no this relates. This relates to one of your topics, which is UFOs, because I've uh-huh. been hearing for a long time that aliens can make men pregnant. They have that magic power. No, I, I've never heard about making men pregnant. I have heard about what people. I mean, look, it gets real deep into the UFO community, right? But there are various people who would say they were abducted and said that they had pregnancies and say that those pregnancies were basically taken very early on. And look, some of them would say, hey, we have research pointing, or not research, but we say, look, these are my medical records. This says I was pregnant. 
and they would particularly point to the abduction as the reason for it. But I've never heard the men thing. That part I haven't heard. Now, do you think, and you, of course, are progressive and you have a soapbox. So Mm -hmm. uh, do you think the left has gone, a lot of people on the right, everyone on the right, thinks the left has gone too far, but that makes sense. What do you think that on some issues has the left gone, for instance, transgender athletics? They they made that the place to die. So I'll yeah, say go, this. Go ahead, I heard the end. Of, I heard the end of your conversation with the other gentleman, and uh, I, I think, you know, we have a tendency on fault lines to be able to talk to anybody across the political spectrum, just across it all. And there are fundamental misunderstandings in what, not necessarily uh, take out Democrats for the moment, take out the you know and Republican Party heads, uh, where you take out the politics, just. People in general, when they're pushing for a particular party or an agenda or an ideology, et cetera, there's a fundamental misunderstanding on the left from the standpoint of the right. And reverse, and same thing on the other side. It goes both ways. Here's the thing. The left is not – and it even depends on what you mean, like which section of the left. For the most part, the things that the left fully agree upon – is based on, yeah, people should have food, they should have shelter, they should have work when they want work. It should not be a situation where people's lives are difficult from the cradle to the grave. And there's the responsibility of government on some level to manage all of these kind of contradictions in the way that we go about our life and reality itself in order to make sure that whatever the society looks like, those things are held sacred and those things are held uh, done because of the fact that humanity matters. Meaning, Human beings have worth and value, and that value needs to be acknowledged in the context of law. Now, when you get beyond that point, well, that's when you get into transgender athletes where women should be able to punch um, or transgender women should be able to punch natural women in the face and just destroy. You know, that's where it gets weird and kooky to me, if I'm being honest, because at that point, you're ignoring the reality of events in order to kind of push an ideological point of view. And so there are certain areas of it where it seems that the left has, I don't know, it, it's its kind of like anything else, right? You go in a certain direction and there are a certain part of that where it's like, okay, this is great, but does it ever stop? And does that energy ever stop until something pushes back on it saying, okay, yeah, this is too far. So censorship, that's another point. Is that the left or is that Democrats? That's what I mean. Like the left is so broad of a, of a framing for that stuff. I mean, people like me who, yeah, I consider myself a lefty on this stuff. Um, Look at some of that stuff and say, yeah, that's too far. And you guys are basically using ideology to ignore reality. That's when it goes too far for me. And so, yeah, it depends on what part you mean by the left. But if you're talking about certain areas of um, beyond, let's say, the economics of it all. Yeah, I can agree with that. This is I think I guess so is Carter Laren. Carter Laren, you don't, you don't like the, particularly the left-right labels. You don't think you're accurate, no, do I, you? No, but I use them often colloquially because that because most yes. people understand things in that way. But but um, you know, Jamal's making a good a good point here, and I think there are people like Jimmy Dore, and it sounds like Jamal, you're one of these people who are kind of consistently progressive, and you're the same left that you always were. But you know, from the outside, I'm not on the right either. But from the outside, I I've seen, and I think a lot of people have seen, um, uh, uh, an increasingly vociferous and vocal and uh, 
frankly, delusional arm of the leftists, which is the woke culture, just kind of go insane. And unfortunately, they have a lot of and I, actually, I shouldn't say they, they've gone insane. I think this for those people, this was it's it's uh, an agenda. And I think it's emotionally driven. And, and and I, you know, I don't think it's necessarily logical, but it's not insane. But but we've seen the mask slip on them. And they're basically authoritarians on the left. And they're the ones, you know, in the 90s, I used to, even though I wasn't on the left, I used to appreciate, well, at least the leftists are they're going to support free speech with me. That's good because uh, the conservatives are the threat there. And, you know, oh, the, you know, the, they'll oppose war with me because that's good. And the conservatives are a threat there. Um, and 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 they were champions for for women's rights, like female rights. And the 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 part of the left that seems to have taken over the narrative and yes, Democratic Party, but also just most of the mainstream leftist narrative is this radical woke wing of the left that wants uh, that wants men to be able to compete against like biological males to be able to compete against women in sports and destroy women's sports, which is like the utmost version of misogyny I could possibly think of. They support every kind of war. They all have Ukraine flags in their profiles and they're all about bombing people and support whatever kind of war is going on. And they're trying to censor people. It's not the left that I grew up with. And I know that there are some people that were on the left and have not really changed their positions and maintain that more liberal and socialist. I mean, I'm, I I can deal with socialists. I mean, I disagree, but I know where they're coming from. But that has changed and it's changed palpably. And I think most people have seen that. And my suggestion would be, I, I don't know, Jamal, if you're in the minority on the left or in the majority, but you're certainly not the the part of the left that people are seeing right now. They're seeing the craziness. Agreed. I would agree with that. A um, few points. I, I Look, I take contention with this notion of left and lumping Democrats in with that because it's different. Democrats are a political party. And from the standpoint of the people who are following that political party, meaning liberals, wherever the party goes, they go with it. Whereas you have people who have, say, on the left, like you said, anti-war, pro-free speech. I mean, for God's sake, can you imagine being back during the civil rights era? Where these guys are being anti-free speech. These guys were the ones who were saying, yes, Martin Luther King should be able to talk. Malcolm X should be able to talk. These people should be able to push for their civil rights. It's the First Amendment. you know. And so those people were there for that. And then all of a sudden on its head, it flipped. But that's kind of my point. The Democratic Party is a political institution, just like the Republican Party. That's not necessarily indicative of the left. That's indicative of a party that has objectives, a particular point of view and everything else. But often that point of view changes. It can alter itself based on whatever the political situation is there. Hypocrisy, it's not just a minor sin. It's kind of an uh, operating tool. So in the context of, let's say, during Bush, during the war, then yeah, you're going to left this like, oh my God, we hate this war. This war is horrendous. And then Obama gets in and expands that stuff. There's not a peep. There's no issue. Uh, there's, there's a black man with his hand on the drone trigger. And so that makes it better somehow than a white guy with his hand on the drone trigger. It's nonsense, right? But all things been equal from their perspective, this is a political party and we follow the party. That's, that's, that's why I guess I'm pushing back on this notion between the left and Democrats. There's a difference. You have all sorts of liberals that are basically following whatever the party puts out. And you see those people on CNN, MSNBC. They are on the news all the time. They're in the media when they're talking about it. But that's, again, from the standpoint of media, what they care about, Democratic Party, not necessarily at the left. That's why I chase at that every time I hear that, because a political party can change on a whim. It's just, you know, they don't have to be consistent. They don't have to have a consistent ideology. What they're doing is trying to do 
whatever's in the best interest of maintaining power for that political party or at the very least getting whatever gains that they care about. That's different. Well, and the part the of that ideology you now, you talked about censorship, but also part of the ideology now is if you're a Democrat, you must hate Elon Musk. Now, Jamal, I don't think I've ever talked to you about this, but Elon Musk seems like the kind of guy you'd like. He wants to colonize Mars, build right. electronic cars. I'm sure you got thrilled yeah. down your leg the first time you saw the dashboard of Tesla with a big electronic screen. Am I right, Jamal? Do you like Elon Musk? Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of Elon Musk, but it's for a different reason. It's I love the fact that he wants to take over Twitter. Love it. No man, you have no idea how much I love it. Because we need to get to this point where we realize free speech, or at the very least our ability to speak, um, has been decimated. We're meaning these things are our comments, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. And it needs to be something that kind of solidifies this notion of the ability of a person to be able to conversate without having the government to be able to put pressure and do an end run around the First Amendment to basically eliminate the person's capabilities. So, yes, I love the fact that Elon Musk is doing that. I am not a big fan of private individuals going into space and colonizing planets. That, I, I, man, you have no idea. I, I, look, like I say, I'm socialist libertarian for the most part. If I had to put myself in a box and that seems like that's the thing of worlds or that's the thing of governments to be able to go out and do this notion that private enterprise. I'm not a fan of this notion of private enterprise going into space in that way. I feel like we should go with that as a united planet. I know I'm naive on that. <laughs> I'll accept that. I accept that. No, but I don't hate them. So that, that, no. that takes us to the hearing today. The first hearings in 50 years, right? On UFOs. That's right. This is the first time right. Congress has talked about it in about 50 years. What did you think of the – I've heard mixed, very negative, and not all from people who just think that talking about UFOs is crazy. What did you think of these hearings today? Um, those hearings were painfully and frustrating shallow. And honestly, all things being equal, you know, there's not necessarily much that one can glean from what they were saying at the hearing. I mean, think of it for a moment. The videos that con Congress members were being briefed with. Weren't these little, oh, there's a dot in the sky. Isn't that interesting? We don't know what that dot in the sky is. It's like, okay, it's a dot in the sky. Great. Certainly you guys have better videos. Certainly you have better footage that you guys have been watching. Meaning Lou Elizondo, head of the ATA program, had been briefing Congress. This is part and parcel to the reason why Congress got so adamant about we need to get into this. What is going on? This has been 80-something years. These things are around our nuclear facilities. They're invading our military space. You have given us no answers on what this is, and you downplay the fact that this has been in existence. And so they wanted answers. Answers is not what you're going to get from this hearing. I would say this, though. Keep in mind, I think last time we talked, I made the point that said this is going to be a slow, slow process. Because basically, anything that you put out into the public, you're stuck with. This is not a video game. And they have added something to our reality that is a radical and fundamental mystery and the public hasn't necessarily accommodated the fact that that has been added to their reality. I mean, under normal circumstances, let's say up until the point where the DNI report came out, your world was very solid. You expect to get transportation. There were certain rules of physics that, you know, the world went by. You have capabilities in regards to what the countries can do. That was clear to you. That's a framing of your world. All right. Something has been added to the, your world that says, hey, it seems that something is manipulating gravity. And it seems that they're blowing out the level of technology that we have, like we're basically children in comparison. And 
How is it doing those things? We have no idea how it's doing those things. Is it a manipulation of gravity? Is it wormholes? What are they doing? More importantly, what are those civilizations and what do those civilizations look like versus the capability of our own? It is going to be radically different. Those things haven't necessarily been accommodated by the American public because that stuff is, at that point, black box. What about those people who talk about abductions? What about those people? What's in the craft? What about that? Meaning there are so many questions that have been added to our reality that the public hasn't necessarily accommodated yet that all of these things are now possible. Those things are potentials. And so this hearing comes out and they give you nothing. They don't even give you the various people who are making those experiences. One of the questions they asked was, what about the red light over the nuclear facilities? Now, I was at the hearing, um, a UFO correspondent, Radio Sputnik, official title. I was at the hearing in D.C. where Bob Salias, Bob Jacobs, and a panel of people from the military, affidavits included, video included, data included, all of that stuff, and basically saying, look, I was there. I was at this facility, running this facility. When a craft was spotted on the outside, my people started freaking out, so much so that they were screaming on the phone that there is a UFO outside the gate. And all of the nuclear facilities or the nuclear power um, missiles shut down one after the next after the next, despite the fact that these were on separate grids. Now, Salias, Rob Salias, the one who's heading this, even said something that I didn't know. He said this was taking place over a period of like eight months. This wasn't a one-time incident, and multiple facilities had this happen to them. And so when you're asked this directly to the military brass, hey, what about the nuclear power stuff? He's like, yeah, we don't know about that. We don't have stuff outside of that. What do you mean you don't know that? What do you mean you don't know that? Like, it's aggravating. It's painfully aggravating. But again, the point of this was not information. The point of this was to legitimize the issue, to destigmatize the study and interest in UFOs. I told you before, it was going to be a slow process because anything they put out, they're stuck with. And so their thing is nobody's going to come out and say they're aliens visiting Earth. Nobody's going to come out and say it. They're going to use reports and they're going to use, let's say, like um, committee panels. They're going to use that stuff where you can diffuse any kind of, um, let's say, uh, criticism from any particular individual politician. It's going to be slow. It's going to be painful. But this is the first step of this is legitimate, which is the point of that hearing. Now, Carter, what do you think of the idea of UFO hearings? Uh, well, look, I, on the one hand, I'm skeptical of all of this. On the other hand, I'm skeptical of the government. So, right. um, you know, one thing that I'll say that I, I appreciate about this is I do think that there should not be a stigma for sharing information. If you see an anomaly or something's going on, um, you know, that needs to be shared. It needs to be understood. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of understanding phenomena and understanding things. Do I think it's going to lead to the discovery that the Vulcans are here? No, but I'm open. If that's what it leads to fine, but I, but we need to explore it at least. And shutting up about it is not helping anyone and having a stigma against talking about it is not helping anyone. So, you, you know, I, I, I think, to some extent, the whole intertwining of aliens with with unidentified flying objects, which I guess are now renamed, um, but the the whole intertwining <laughs> of of aliens with that has has made it difficult for people who don't want to be perceived 
as believing in aliens to, to say, Hey, I saw this thing and here's, you know, here's my instruments and this is what I think happened. And this is what I saw. And like, they're, they are afraid to talk about it. And I, I don't like the idea that people are afraid to talk about sense data that they experienced. Um, and so, you know, I think that's good. And, you know, I think, uh, I think you're right, Jamal. I mean, it's going to have to be, this will be a long thing, right? This people are going to have yeah. to get used to separating these things and looking that objectively and rationally and being able to explore without freaking out every time they see something in the sky. I'd love but what you think slowing down and not putting out the best evidence because they don't want people to freak out. They didn't have people who directly seen stuff. For instance, right. they're sharing today. They had people talking about people who've seen stuff. Do you think they're holding back on the best evidence they have? Pretty obviously. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely they are. Of course they are. Of course they are. Yeah, I mean, look. uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. Go for it. He's right. No, no, no. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead, man. Well, I was just going to say, whatever they put out, they're stuck with. You put out something that says, all right, that is clearly not us. That is clearly a craft. That craft is clearly doing something that is astonishing. I think it's going at Mach 10 and then a right turn. Well, it's under, for one, intelligent control. Not just under intelligent control, it's material, which means it's an object itself that had to be crafted and created. It wasn't something that was naturally created. And you've basically just shown something that breaks our laws of physics, at the very least our understanding of how craft function. If you do that, you're stuck with that. That's the catch. And you can't entirely predict how the public would deal with that. Think of how the religious people would deal with that. When they were doing the ATA project and the AWOS, the larger project, you have people in the Pentagon saying, oh, my God, these people are opening the gates of hell. They're going to be demons that are going to be attacking us. You had legitimate military guys thinking stuff like that. And so it's like, what does that look like into a public? And when you put that out into the public, are you taking a gamble that the public can accommodate that? It's that part that I think is the issue here. I love what your guest said. I love what your guest said. Because all things being equal, the reason it's a logical jump, right, to say, OK, there's something in the sky. What is that? Fair enough. But then at the point where it's like, okay, that looks like a craft. You're stuck with a problem. Do we build that? Is it us or not? And that's kind of the rub. When people were seeing those things, meaning, yeah, there are some people who saw swamp gas and they're like, oh my God, that's an alien. Or something like a, a, star, a light in the sky. And it's like, oh my God, that's a UFO. Fair enough. Take all those people out. If you have one case that is legitimate, then this is real. That's the point. And there are enough of those one cases our own military people captured on radar and everything else with something under intelligent control that was technology, that's real. I guess so that's my kind of my point here. It's not necessarily elite, but I understand that some people have associated those things. In fact, the intelligence services intentionally associated crackpots and kooks with the UFO thing in order to kind of decimate um, interest in the issue. So fair enough. But yes, it's going to be a slow process. Yes, I accept that people are going to be skeptical because of the ramifications of what we're talking about. This is, again, there's a mystery box. Is a fundamental difference of uh, meaning it is a large radical shift in what we our reality, real terms, what is allowed, what is possible, what will happen to us as a planet when we're trying to reconcile this notion of other planets and other things that may have different points of view, different interests, all that stuff. That's a lot to reconcile. So when people deal with this issue, they can like Mitt Romney. I don't think it's it's certainly not China, it's certainly not Russia, it's not us. It's not aliens. And it's like, Mitt, you've taken everything off the table, man. That's something. You acknowledge that's something. But again, the ramifications are so expansive that I don't necessarily think people can accommodate that 
in this kind of flesh to bone way, like the value of a dollar, then the way they understand that. It's going to take it more and it's going to be convincing and it has going to be something that is so definitive where it's like, okay, fair enough. That's not us. We can't do that. That is something else. It's going to be that. They're not going to give you that. They're not going to give you that. Well, I just want, look, I just wanted to say as an engineer and as someone whose first job was in the defense department at a contractor, uh, I like, first of all, they make a lot of things secret that probably don't need to be made secret, but they, they, the government is very uh, <laughs> conservative Agreed. with respect to sharing information. And um, we, there's going to be fundamentally there's a communications problem here because as an engineer, if you said, I want you to go investigate, here's a case where something was detected and seen. Here's the video footage. Here's the instrument data. I want you to tell me what it is or what you think it is or have some postulates or, you know, you know, come up with some ideas. Well, I would need access to all of the technical data of all the instrumentation because I would need to understand how does the instrument – because one of the things you have to rule out is, well, how does this instrument function? How are these things measured? How is that picture created? Like what's the shape of the lens? What kind of you know, what kind of buffers are is there? Is there aliasing that can happen in, in a digital buffer? Like all this stuff is – all this stuff can create artifacts and you need to be able to rule it out and understand it. And they are never going to share enough details with the public about the technology used to record this stuff where that we, where we can verify anything about it. Look, I agree. It's a black box. And there's something that you said when you first started your comment about, um, look, I don't trust the government, et cetera. Look, these guys have been lying for 80 years. Full stop. And so I agree with you on that. Like I cover politics, right? And I see how the, the machinate, like Ukraine, look at what they've done to the issue of Ukraine, they've eliminated context. They've eliminated any notion of how it started. These people have been lying in mass for months and straight face with a media that has basically backed them up on it. Okay, now take it to something that is radically in the black. Like you said, they're not going to share that stuff. They're not going to tell you what they know. They're not going to give you the videos that say, oh, my God, that seems to break reality. They're not going to do that. And I even agree with you from the standpoint that they could be stuff behind that, that they don't want to expose. Fair enough. But again, if it's something where it's like, OK, our physics just don't fit that, then that is something that the public and whatnot is going to have to reconcile. And I'm fine with these kind of heavy investigations. It's a question that's being posed to us. So I, I, I understand where you're coming from. And I agree with you on the mechanics of it that, yeah, this is going to be difficult because the government is not going to give you everything that they know about those issues. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, now let's let's take it back down to Earth for a second. Let's talk about the credibility gap and let's play a clip from CNN talking about where people are on the future. Go ahead, roll it up, please. He also asked folks to get a sense about how things are going in the U.S. And look at this, Aaron. 65% of Americans in our brand new CNN poll tonight say they are concerned about how things are going in the U.S. Only 4% excited, 10% optimistic. Even one in five say that they are scared. Now, does that surprise you, given what you just said, Jamal? You were talking about the credibility gap and people lying on the UFO issue, but also every issue. I must say this. Across the board, this administration has proven they lie about everything, from COVID to Hunter Biden's laptop to everything. Do you think that's affecting the mood? And that's part of why. I'll put it like this. If you can't trust the government to tell the truth on anything, I'd say being scared. Makes perfect sense. 
What do you say, Jamal? That clip is the most ridiculous. Brian Stelter is an idiot. He's a apex incompetent idiot. And I can't tell whether he's shilling or whether it's something like he's just comically unself-aware. I mean, to your point, COVID deaths what, has killed hundreds of thousands under Biden administration at this point more than Trump. You have a president that is engaging in a basically a proxy war that is getting ever more direct while dumping 50, 60 billion dollars into Ukraine on this front that is expanding and increasing inflation to dramatic levels, meaning you have economies in EU and Europe that are basically, I'm not going to say collapsing, but they are basically taking a hit that's getting worse. Same thing here in the United States. What, 60 percent of the public don't have $500 in a bank? Okay, so what does that mean from the standpoint of the 70 percent or so that are persistently vulnerable and you've basically made their lives worse. They're also, COVID hasn't necessarily gone anywhere either. Like meaning from a standpoint of economics, from a standpoint of their physical health, from a standpoint of a president has failed literally across the board and now seems to be dragging us closer and closer to the brink of oblivion. Yeah, those things are horrendous. And so if you ask the public, the public has a right to be freaked out by that. Why wouldn't they be, right? And so the media, Brian Stelter, CNN, comes out like the guys from Hunger Games that are like, everything is great. I don't understand why these people are acting this way. Brian Stelter, Jen Psaki made this comment once. She was like, got to pay for our values, Peter Deucey, got to pay for our values. All right, fair enough. But what does that mean in the sense? Basically, the people who are making decisions are insulated. They're insulated. Psaki is going to be on NBC with a horrible talk show. And so she's getting millions of dollars. The newsmen, Seltzer, are getting millions of dollars. The people who used to be basically in the political space, rich, they are insulated from the decisions that they're making. So from Seltzer's point of view, so what, I got to pay double for gas. I don't care. I don't care. I don't even feel that. I don't care. And so in his world, I am completely financially and economically insulated from the problems that the rest of the American public are basically dealing with. So he doesn't see it. He's a fish in water. Whereas he can't even get out of that to be able to say, oh, wow, my life is not indicative of the typical American life. I am in the top 1%, pure, like beyond the top 1%. 1% is like $400,000. I am in a 0.5 or 0.3 or whatever that is. He doesn't see it. I don't, and that's just it, right? I'm always stuck in this thing of, is, he, is it that he doesn't see it or is that he just shilling? And I'm not quite sure which one is worse on that. Now, let me close this with a moment of unity, and this is a moment of unity. We do not often hear politicians say something completely honest, but this is a moment of unexpected. And Jamal, I gotta say, you've got a great laugh. I'm looking forward to, after we play this clip, hearing you laugh. Oh, play, the, right, I'm sorry. play the clip. In contrast, Russian elections are rigged. Political opponents are imprisoned or otherwise eliminated from participating in the electoral process. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. <laughs> Iraq, too. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> 75. Uh, <laughs> God, I love that clip. God, yeah, I love that clip. Laugh a little more, more Jamal. It's fun to listen to you. It's the best clip. It is yeah, great. No, it is so great. I often say politicians have like the super, 
Oh, go for it. I'm sorry. The best part is his little laugh after that. He realizes what he said. And he, eh, you, you heard that, right? That's George W. Yeah. Bush, of course, talking about the Holy Ancestral invasion of Iraq. What do you think is going on in his soul that made that squeak out of his mouth? You know, I often say politicians have a superhuman level of being able to basically accept hypocrisy. Like, usually, under most people, at some point, they relent. Politicians, no, not so much. But the catch is, it's like you get a hundred, like a million people killed in a war of aggression where you basically lie the country into a war, killing one million innocent Iraqis, 4,000 American troops, and spending like $8 trillion to do it. And then you get up here and it's going to attack Putin for something that you literally did with extreme consequence. And so it's like maybe it's something in his body that just wouldn't just like Iraq. Iraq. It just couldn't stay in. It was just too much hypocrisy for one man, one physical human you're, man. You're suggesting it's like Bush Tourette syndrome, where he couldn't help but say it. I think I think somewhere deep down in his black, darkened soul, he knows what he did was wrong. And in that moment, it eked up. That's what I think. And Carter, you can't disagree, can you? Why would I? Right. Good point. Carter Laren, great job guest hosting. Pleasure to talk to you always. Jamal, great having you on the show. Great conversation. And we'll be back tomorrow with more great conversations here on The Backstory. Backstory.